I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello, welcome. How are you doing? This is episode 126 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley. It is a bloody brilliant time in the season. And as you can hear, we are back in the studio this week following our little excursion to the Valley last time out. Thanks for all the nice comments on that, by the way. David Cameron Walker's particularly enjoying the email that's coming from uh, AJ, our American listener. Oh, fantastic. He was loving yeah. it. You very, be, very complimentary. You fancy uh, a little trip to LA, don't you? Yeah. You were just saying, let's keep in touch with him. Um, my <laughs> question to you is, following your well-documented crusade last week to get healthy food into football stadia mm. and you've got something vaguely healthy over there right I've now. I've got a super, a super food salad. Um, did right you now. manage to continue that over the Easter weekend or did you come to chocolate and alcohol like I, the rest of us? You know what, I've not, not had one Easter egg. What? I've not had a single Easter egg That's over the weekend. That's a bombshell. I, I worked all weekend but the same can't quite be said for alcohol but okay. the less said about that the better. Um, right, well it's just the two of us uh, this week then over uh, this uh, slightly later than usual uh, Easter sort of uh, review and blimey O'Reilly lots has been happening we should uh, congratulate first of all if you can I don't know if you'll be able to John Still and Luton Town on their return to the Football League we sort of touched on it last week uh, but finally confirmed now Luton will be in League 2 next season you must be pleased to see the Hatters back even as a Watford fan. Yeah, I mean I would actually prefer them to be in our league I don't want them to have too much success I want them to be in our <laughs> want them to be in our league there was a great little post on Twitter from the Watford Observer which said Watford fans don't don't uh, be disappointed that, that Luton have been promoted here's six reasons why you know you should be happy that Luton are back in the football league and it was a link just to six of our best hammerings <laughs> over them over the years so, I like that yeah. um, okay well by the way did they not used to play in white why do they play in orange now have we ever, has anyone ever got to the bottom of that? Well, their, their home kit has been in white. Their, their, their club colours are sort of white, orange okay. and, and, and navy blue, dark sort of blue, yeah. Fair enough. Later in the show, what have we got for you? Well, we've got the latest edition of My Club. We're going to be talking about potential points deductions, tennis ball protests and my uh, little trip to York this week to go to Boovan Crescent. We'll mention that later. Also, we'll be assessing the League 2 promotion race. Two games to go and we'll be talking about who's going up and who's going down at the bottom. Time starting to run out on Torquay despite their uh, best efforts, it must be said. Uh, one side definitely lining up in League 2 next season will be Stevenage though uh, Borough lost twice over the Easter weekend to make it 10 games without a win and finally confirm their relegation after 3 years in League 1 later we will reflect on a disappointing season for Graham Wesley with Steve Watkins the Stevenage commentator for BBC Three Counties Radio so Steve will be coming on in a bit at the top of the League 1 table different story Wolves confirmed as champions more on that later well after all the heartbreak of last season Marcelo Trotter uh, etc Brentford have done it the Bees promoted at last to the second tier for the first time since 1993 on Good Friday uh, we will hear about a dramatic afternoon at Griffin Park from Nick Bruzon friend of the show author of the Brentford blog The Last Word he was there on the pitch last week celebrating with the players afterwards as well and in the championship more on the, uh, the fight for survival and the playoff push plus Leicester finally crowned as football league champions uh, but first we're going to start with the other side who will be joining them automatically in the top flight next season that was confirmed since we uh, last did a show 
Um, you have to say it's arguably the most remarkable success story in English football this season. Burnley Football Club, 11th in the Championship last year and amongst the bookies' favourites for relegation this campaign are back in the Premier League. Sean Dyche's side won twice over Easter against Blackpool and Wigan to confirm their place in the top flight after four years away and cue those amazing celebrations and that brilliant pitch invasion at Turf more on Monday uh, this week. One man we've talked to a few times on the show over the years is Chris Bowden. Uh, Chris is the chief football writer at the Burnley Express and as he bass in the warm fuzzy glow of promotion we thought we'd uh, get him on the show one final time before Burnley leave us to embark on another adventure in the Premier League. Chris is on the line right now. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show again. Uh, you follow the club for many a year. How did Monday rank in the great days to be a Burnley fan? Yeah, it was pretty special. It's something I haven't witnessed. Burnley winning a promotion at, at Turf Moor in front of their own supporters. It usually, I've seen it happen twice at Wembley or, uh, or on the other, other teams' ground. So, yeah, it was a special one. And I suppose, in a strange way, the fact that on the day that you sealed promotion, Ashley Barnes and Michael Kitely were the goal scorers, was sort of fitting of the season that Burnley have had because all the attention has largely been on Danny Ings and Sam Vokes. But it's been a real sort of tight-knit squad. But every you know every player that, that's played in this squad, but not many players, but they've all played an important part. And it's been a real group uh, and sort of collective effort. It has, yeah. I, mean, I think we're sort of looking at potential Player of the Year uh, nominations. And it's, it's going to be a real tough task to, to select one. Obviously, Danny uh, Danny's the championship player of the year, and uh, he walked away with a four four two award as well. So he'll be up there. But but as you mentioned, I mean, it's the meanest defence in the in the division. You know, you look at the central midfield too, and Dean Marnie and Jones, and uh, you know, if you, if you took either of those either side at any any stage, and it was a, it was a weaker side. You know, the wide men have all contributed and. Uh, you say Ashley Barnes is, you know, he's actually his third goal for the club, and he's been patient. To, he backed himself to come in to the club at the, at the time when uh, when when Danny and Sam were flying. When other strikers maybe looked at it and thought, you know what, I don't really want to go there because I'm not going to get in the side. But uh, yeah, he's pleased to say he's backed his ability, and uh, you know, he's probably going to get a, a shot in the Premier League now. When you look at the size of the squads of a club, say like QPR, I mean, we were at Charlton. Barnsley last week and we were looking at the size of even a club like you know doing as badly as Charlton they've got you know close to uh, 45 players you know have played for them this season and you know, yourselves and Leicester just used 23 players each and predominantly for Burnley as well it's pretty much been if you look down the list of squad appearances this season it's basically the same 11 players week in week out who've played the majority of the games I mean how, how, how remarkable is that because it's a fantastic achievement but just to keep those players fit for one thing yeah, it's sort of interesting to look at Mourinho. He, he, he's sort of struggling to put a team out three days before a Champions League <laughs> semi-final. And, you know, you, you think he come on. You know, I think Burnley have shown, Leicester have shown the squad rotation thing's a myth. I think the whole, uh, you know, get get your uh, get your sides settled and you get that consistency as a result. You know, what, what players want to know, you know, if I perform well today, I'm, I'm going to be in the team next week. They don't want to know, oh, if I perform well I don't know if I'm going to play next week. It's, it's a strange thing to, to have for players, but uh, yeah, they've, they've had that sort of togetherness. You can see that at Leicester as well. And, uh, you know, real bonds, real partnerships have developed. I mentioned the centre-mids again, two centre-backs, you know, centre-backs and their, their full-backs on that side, full-backs and the wingers, the forwards. It's, it's all sort of gelled from uh, from day one, really. There's a lot of stick 
became the manager's way when he picked the uh, the strongest team he could at York in the uh, first round of the Capital One Cup. And you just look at it now and you think, well, that's no. So it was a bit of a bit of a stroke of genius, really. It was sort of uh, sort of laid out a marker. This is going to be my team. You know, they're going to play week in, week out, come hell or high water. And Chris, if you won the clock back, sort of nine months, eight months, or whatever it was, to the to the eve of the season, to lose Charlie Austin with just a few days to go before the start of the season, if you'd said to Burnley fans then what their expectations would be, what would they have been? And uh, I'm guessing you certainly wouldn't have expected to, to be in this position. No, I, I don't think anyone would have done, to be honest. I, I think there's a fleeting few. I've always looked the eternal optimist, but I personally thought they'd be sort of mid-table-ish. I think sort of Burnley fans were looking at uh, sort of a brief spell in January last year when Volks and Ings linked up and uh, showed signs of a terrific understanding when, when Austin had a, a hamstring problem, I think it was, in, in the January and uh, just hoping to build on that really. But it's, this is beyond everyone's wildest dreams. It's, it, it really, it, you can't understate, it's a remarkable effort for a club with the resources that they have, the sort of money available to them. As you mentioned, the size of squad, and all that with the Wiggins and the uh, the Forests, the QPRs, Derbys, you know, Reddings, people like that came down from the Premier League. It, it's it's a sensational achievement. Just to kind of going further on that sort of notion of how how low perhaps or or how modest should we say the expectations may have been at the start of the season, and still you know halfway through the season you had people like us and. The football League show and, and various people in the media and in the press saying, oh, surely they're going to fall away. You know, they're going to get some injuries and they're going to come, you know, QPR with their big budget and those sort of clubs, Wigan, they'll come good in the end and they'll overtake them. But you just kept on being relentless. That that mentality that Sean Dyche professed so much week in, week out, just look at the next game, we'll win the next game. It kept on going. When did the Burnley fans and, and, you know, and yourself really actually start to believe, hang on a minute, we're going to do this? Well, I mean, I mean, in terms of doing it, I mean, obviously, sort of, probably later in the season, that little batch of games where they beat Forest at home three-one and Derby two-nil, and they were just turning sides over at home. You know, they didn't lose at home in the league for uh, you know twenty uh, twenty-four months, sort of thing. But uh, I think the sort of turning point in the season when they, they beat QPR in October two-nil at Burnley, and uh, just the, the the intensity of the play, you know, real intricate football as well. There was a a vibrancy to them that day. They blew QPR out of the water, and I think everyone sort of stood up and took notice then. But then you know you've got to sort of you know to keep maintaining that. As you said, people probably expected the wheels to sort of come off in the you know Christmas time, the New Year. Just kept churning those results out time after time. Every little challenge that was thrown up, they overcame it. You know to to lose D Marnie to a you know a bit of a harsh suspension, two games. Danny Ings missed five with his ankle. Kieran Trippier four with you know with a with a hamstring, Volksy obviously, you know, does his cruciate. But they just kept uh, kept churning it out, you know. We'll just we'll just carry on. The players will come in, they know the roles, and they'll get on with it and do a job. And you mentioned the home form there. I'm just looking at uh, Crystal Palace this season in the Premier League, who kind of gonna survive or they have survived, haven't they, based on their amazing home form, especially in the second half of the season. How important is that um level of performance at Turf Moor gonna be uh, when you go up next season? Oh, I mean, it's big. Well, if you look at Burnley's last season in the Premier League, they, they took four points away from home all season. It's just absolutely preposterous uh, <laughs> run, run of form. So, you know, you're looking at that. They're 26 points at home. I think they won five out of the first six. 
beat Manchester United and Everton, you know, in those first few games. It's again, teams, you know, there will be sort of revamps with the with the Premier League money, but teams won't enjoy, you know, they've gone from the plush surroundings. I'm sure they don't enjoy going to going to Palace to sell us. You know, it's a, you know the nice traditional old grounds, but uh, you know they're not an Emirates or an Etihad or something like that. And uh, it will be something that you know Burnley can benefit from. I was reading a piece. I think it may have been in the Guardian, but I was reading a piece in the press earlier this week with the headline, you know, about Sean Dyche and the Ginger Mourinho, as he's called affectionately by the yeah. fans. When they actually ended the article saying. It's all well and good saying the ginger Mourinho, but what he actually needs to become is the ginger Tony Pulis. <laughs> and and, it, and it's a kind of a good point, really. You just mentioned Pulis there and Crystal Palace. I suppose they are the example to follow, you know, and Hull City to, to a slightly different extent. The only the, looking at Palace is really interesting because Pulis has come in and he's and he's rescued them, you know, with the organisation and 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 the hard-working players, and, he, and he's got you know those players playing well that were playing so poorly under Holloway. But it went wrong for Palace at the start of the season because, I think, in my view, a disastrous attempt to recruit players to bolster the squad who'd played in the Premier League before. And, and it was scattergun. There were so many players that arrived in the last minute. Some of them didn't even ever end up playing a game for the club. And it just shows, and the other teams have done it before, it shows if you go up and you've got this tight-knit group of players, and if there is you know this temptation to start spending money and trying to un- you end up unsettling you know what is a really good thing at the moment but you also do have to bring in a bit more quality so it's a really difficult balancing act between buying some and spending some money and also keeping what you've got absolutely i mean they say they've got a you know very strong sort of starting 11 i mean they say that the lads have come in off the, off the bench within the squad and done a job but you know you can register a 25 man squad you know plus the the, the under 21s and so on and so forth but Burnley are going to need sort of options that are as strong as the first team to come off the bench. And uh, as you say, Palace's the recruitment. And I think there's something like, was it like 14 players in that mm. August window? And uh, as you say, some of them came in, they had a look at them, didn't even make the 25-man squad back out again. It's taken Tony Pulis, really, to get to get his men in himself in January, you know, many knows and trusts, and uh, get people to believe in that shape. So Burnley already have that in, in motion. They've, you know, they've had a, a pre-season under under Sean, another pre-season to bed in his methods. Players want to run through brick walls for him. You know, I say we, we're not privy to his training sessions, but speaking to the to the lads, they all buy into it. They say it's quite, it's, you know, it's simplified, it's spelled out in no uncertain terms. They all know their jobs and understand them, and it's a. Uh, it's a simple old game, as he'll tell you. It's, you know, you keep it out one end, you score at the other. A couple of questions about um, adapting to, to life in the Premier League. Um, you mentioned Danny Ings there, Championship Player of the Year, obviously got in the under-21 squad for England. I'm interested to uh, to sort of uh, hear how, how well you think he is going to adapt to, to life in the Premier League, if he can make the step up. And secondly, Sean Dyche as well, because DC, I know you've said on the show before that you think next season he could, could go on to be one of the real stars in the mm. Premier League with all the attention on him. Yeah. Um, obviously, a lot more publicity than he's going to get this season. Do you think he is going to be someone that thrives in the Premier League? Because if you look at someone like Holloway, who's obviously done well in the Premier League before, he was all over the place this season, admitted he couldn't cope and bailed out. Yeah, it was a strange one. Obviously, I mean, Palace sort of scraped up, didn't they? They didn't have the greatest end to the season, and you know, it was only the form previously that, that kept him in there. You know, Burnley are, will, will go into next season having you know, the highest points total in their history, and uh, you know, with a bit of a wave of, uh, of, of momentum. But uh, you know, Sean's—he's quite clever. You know, I think people look at him and think, you know, he's just a—he he probably is an old school 
manager sort of thing. He, you know, he's got this sort of gruff voice and he, you know this hard man facade sort of thing. But uh, can I just say, by know, the way, can I just jump in on that point? Because I was at home uh, yeah. this week and my uh, my mum was there and we had the football league show on and he came this after the Wigan game and he came on to do his interview and she went, "Oh, he's lost his voice for the celebration." <laughs> that. Was, no, he actually speaks like that. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But he's he's a real. Uh, student of the game you know he started talking to us last summer about you know going to Valencia and watching them train and uh, a real admirer of you know you can sort of see I mean obviously they're not in the same league but the sort of you know the Dortmund performances of last season they've Burnley play in a similar shape similar intensity you know I think Dortmund play a very very English very British style of play and he's sort of taking all these old fashioned values if you will modernised them and uh I think you know, he's quite astute, you know, tactically. He hasn't really changed Burnley's shape all season. It's been a case of deal with us. You know, we, you know how we're going to play. Stop us. And teams, you know, bar Middlesbrough, who, you know, by some quirk of fate, had Burnley's number and done the double over them. But uh, nobody else has really been able to stop them. Ingsy, I think, um, I mean, he's, he's 21 years old. Attitude as good as you'll find. Your know, pace, intelligence, great movement. It was a terrific finisher. He can sometimes beat himself up if he misses a chance. You know, he feels he, you speak to him now, he'll, he'll say, I should have more than 25 goals for the season, whereas everyone will be raving about it to him. And he'll be like, well, no, I should be should be in the 30s or so. But uh, I think he's a real chance. But the uh, problem is, I mean, he's got a year left on his contract. There'll obviously be moves to, uh, to give him and Kieran Trippier a, a better deal, longer deal, as with the manager as well. But... Uh, you know, if, a, if an Arsenal or an Everton or a Southampton comes calling, footballers never know with their career. It's okay saying, well, I'm going to be number one for Burnley this season and play every week. If you don't make that move, you know, it's a short career. You might pick up an injury. The other club might not come knocking again. And it's hard to hard to sort of turn down one of, you know, one of the big hitters, one of the big six or so. But do you think that, that you know, Ings will be there next season? Do you think he'd be committed to Burnley? Or would, would a club perhaps look at you know, this is an opportunity to get a player. They might look at someone like Jay Rodriguez and see how well he's done since leaving Burnley to go to Southampton and think, you know, we could probably get Ings for not a huge amount of money here. Well, exactly. We've got to sort of wait and see, you know, when the offers roll in. And I'm sure there will be offers. Well, Burnley have got to be as firm as they can. They've got to get this, you know, got to get the contract scenario sorted out. Can't leave him sort of lingering with a year on his deal for too long. Otherwise, as you say, I mean, he is under 21. There would be a, a, a compensation thing if his, uh, his contract ran out. You know, he, he played the season with Burnley. But, uh, yeah, they need to be sort of keeping him keeping him on an extended deal, you know, extend his wages. And uh, if someone does come calling, then they'll have to pay, well, you're looking at probably the bracket of like £10 million for him. And Chris, final question from me. Uh, obviously, Burnley had that one season in the Premier League, as we've already mentioned a few years ago, when they went up under Owen Coyle. What are the important lessons you think that the club need to sort of learn from that season as they uh, they look ahead to, to going back up? Don't employ Brian Laws if it all goes wrong. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, obviously, on, on the pitch, there was a real sort of... Uh, I mean, there was a romance about Burnley. They, they, they sort of went into games... You know, we're going to we're going to take the game to you, and we're going to be quite open and quite loose at the back. There's a naivety, hence that that tally of four away points. They just got picked off, so they you know they have to be a bit more a bit more disciplined and a bit more organised, which I expect uh, Sean Dyche to to deliver uh, off the pitch. 
the, you know, mentioning with the contracts, they, they can't allow clubs to come in and waltz away with a manager or the top players. They've got to be putting up more of a fight. It was, I mean, the Owen Coyle scenario, it was, it was almost, they literally just waltzed in. Now, we fancy Owen Coyle. Owen Coyle was sort of, <laughs> flashed his uh, eyelashes at them and uh, off he went sort of thing. You know, it can't be as easy as that again if someone inevitably comes calling for, for Sean and, and, uh, and the players. Well, enjoy the experience. Hopefully, for, um, for your sake, we won't be speaking to you for a couple of years yet. That, <laughs> that'll mean you've, uh, you've stayed up. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Enjoy no the problem. summer. Appreciate you. Take care, mate. That's uh, Chris Bowden, Chief Football Writer at the Burnley Express. Next, we're going to drop down a division to celebrate another side on the up and commiserate with another side going down. The Bees and the Borough are going in opposite directions. So there was absolute chaos at the top of League One on Good Friday afternoon. Leighton Orient finally blew their automatic promotion chances with a 2-1 defeat at Crawley while Wolves and Rotherham played out an incredible 10-goal thriller at Molyneux in a game which kicked off 10 minutes late and was then held up further by multiple pitch invasions. That meant an agonising wait at Griffin Park for the fans and players of Brentford who beat Preston 1-0 thanks to an Alan Judge penalty. And finally, amid jubilant scenes in the dressing room, it was confirmed that after all the heartache of last season, and Brentford had finally been promoted back to the second tier only the second time in 60 years they'll have played at that level of English football and uh, all down to the man who's led them there Mark Warburton earlier on today myself and DC had a chat with a man who was feeling terribly dejected uh, this time last season but less so now he is a friend of the show Nick Bruzon uh, the author of the Brentford blog The Last Word which we'll put a link to on the website and I started by asking Nick what that agonising wait was like at full time on Good Friday afternoon it was excruciating put it mildly and it, it was just typical Brentford all, all the fans on the pitch we've, we've done the hard work we've got the win got the points we needed and then somebody suddenly shouted hang on there's 10 minutes left at Wolfsburg <laughs> and we, we but, saw uh, the, we were watching the video of the, of the players who were watching Sky Sports News in the dressing room when it was uh, when it was what was it Five four, five, four, five, four to, to Wolves. Wolves. You know, in the closing stages, minutes to go, the ball was floating around the, the Wolves box, and there was a sort of a sharp intake of breath collectively there's a goal in the room. At Molyneux. And there's a goal at Molyneux, and then that Wolves six, and then the, the players went mad. And before that moment, you must have been thinking back to last season and the, the dramatic way you missed out on automatic promotion last season, thinking, you know, please don't let's not have a, a repeat, you know, similar sort of drama, last minute drama, uh, and the release. You could feel the release in the room, and the players were elated and it must have been very similar being being a fan oh I mean it, it, it was beautiful when it all happened but it was horrendous at the time and like you say <laughs> you, you look back to last season what happened and even in regular time we'd had a penalty down the same end and guess what happened we missed it again but to be honest by that stage the hard work on the pitch had been done and the breeze were in complete control and like I say they got the, the win but then it was 4-2 and 10 minutes ago and then it was 4-3 then it was 4-4 by that point, everyone's on the internet and the entire phone network's collapsed. And like you say, somebody shouts, it's 5-4, goal at Molyneux. Like, to who, to who? I've <laughs> got somebody tell us who scores. Well, there um, seemed to be a lack of communication over the PA system, didn't there? So I don't really... Well, I mean, to be fair, Brentford's PA is notoriously bad anyway. Well, to be fair, I think... been on the other end of it. That could go for 90, anyway. 95% of the Football League clubs, actually, I would think. Um, but uh, it must... Does it, is there an element, uh, Nick, of feeling like you've sort of written a wrong here by uh, achieving this this season I know the manager's changed and there's been a few uh, sort of changes during the season but by and large it is the same squad and uh, to miss out not only as, as DC mentioned last minute drama on the last day but then in the playoff final as well does it feel like you know this was sort of meant to happen yeah and 
you know, I, I was looking back at some of my writing earlier this morning, and 10 games in to this season, it was absolute doom and gloom from an awful lot of people. You know, we, we've had our chance, we've blown it, should have gone last season, sat Rosler. And, you know, people have kept faith, the team of, you know, they did have a shaky start, I'm not going to deny it, but we've hit the ground running after that point and built and built and built. And you're dead right, it really does feel like last season's a forgotten memory already. Sometimes, Nick, when, when teams get promoted up, up the leagues, be it, be it, you know, from League Two all, all the way up to the Premier League, sometimes, you know, if it's through the playoffs or whatever, if it's a particularly un, unexpected season, you, you have this notion of perhaps we've been promoted too early. Perhaps we weren't quite ready. Look at Yeovil in the Championship, maybe, as an example. You know, you're not quite capable as a club of sustaining football at that next level, structurally and, and on the pitch. But with Brentford, you know, this feels like you are ready. You've been building for this for a few years, been knocking on the door. You've got a good, you know, group of young players. You've coped with the departure of Rosler and, and kept some continuity there. And... You know, it, it feels like Brentford are a club that are going to be going into the the championship. Although it's only the you know the second time in sixty years you'd be playing at that level, it feels like you are you know capable of staying there. I, I think so, and you, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of building and the, the squad staying together. And if anything, at the front end of the season, we lost our goalkeeper Simon Moore to Cardiff, and he just signed a four and a half year contract a few months earlier. And of all the players we thought were going to stay, it would be Simon, but actually. The new lads come in and the team is built. And you say, are we ready? You just look, we're on 91 points. Wolves are on 99. Last season's winner, Doncaster, got 84. We've still got two games to go. So we have more than raised the bar. And, you know, full credit to Wolves as well. They deserve the champions. You don't get to 99 points at this stage unless you're any good. And as I say, seven points clear of last year's winners. We should have romped it. But... You know, the fact that the team has just played so strongly and so consistently. Don't forget, we had that incredible run in the middle of the season, ironically ended by Wolves, but you know, some like 21 wins out of 23 games that really brought us into it. Absolutely incredible run. And I do want to kind of mention Mark Warburton here because uh, it would be remiss of us not to talk a bit about him. Obviously, behind the scenes, when Rosler made the decision to go to Wigan, uh, there was a lot of talk about who Brentford were going to appoint. They made the decision very quickly to give it to Warburton, and um, he's done a brilliant job. Yeah, he's done fantastically. And again, statistically, I forget what it was, but I think he won the first half dozen in a row. You know, Brentford got the manager of the month prize twice in a row. Russell got it in December, I think, and then Warburton in January straight afterwards. So it's Russ Wilcox-esque, that, isn't it? <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But what a lot of people forget is that Warburton's been behind the scenes for the last year or so. He brought a lot of the players in. He knows the players. He knows the system. Um, if, if anything, he's pushed Brentford to play a more attacking style of football. They keep men up at corners now. It, it's exciting to watch. You know um, what, I, what I like about about Mark Warburton is that he, you know, and this is something that probably when when he was appointed, you'd you'd have people looking raising eyebrows and going, "Oh, what's his background in the game? He's, he's not managed a club before. What was he doing? Technical director before, and well, he's been here, been there." And I actually think that's a strength. And the fact that, as well, he he spent a lot of time out of football uh, as a, a working in the city before coming back into the game, you know, working his way up as a youth coach at Watford and you know, coming to Brentford, overseeing your your you know your the whole club operation there in terms, and also starting the the next gen league. And you know, he's got a lot of strings to his bow. And I often think that it's too easy just to appoint 
a, a manager straight from being a player who's had no experience of doing anything else. It's sort of the similar sort of mentality to, to I think what is wrong with a lot of politicians. They've never, they've never done anything else other than be a footballer or be a politician. That's what they've been working for their whole life. And it's, it can only be good thing to have a broader experience of life and, and of managing and being in high pressure situations. So that surely is going to set him up for, you know, to be a, a better football manager now. No, certainly. And you know, a lot of people work in high pressure jobs and without a doubt the life of a city trader is probably as stressful it's going to get. But he's taken that experience and as you say, he's worked in the game as well. And it's almost a blessing that he's had the chance to forge his career in two different paths, culminating in the point where now he's worked with Uber, Uber stepped aside, or not stepped aside, but taken a chance at Wigan. And he just really has seized the metal and it's absolute testament to his quality as a man and you speak to him he's a very frank very honest very open guy and he's got a great sense of humour and a great attitude as well and you've probably seen the scenes from the street afterwards you know the Brentford team they're such a unit and that's in no small part down to Warburton were they uh, were they they in the pubs with you Nick that's my question there were a few drinks consumed (laughs) I mean the beauty of Brentford is that the guys the players can't escape Griffin Park without walking past at least one pub Amazing um, on a day like that. Whichever way they go, and win, lose, or draw, they'll generally always stop for a chat, even just a hello, well played, hard luck, whatever. But come Friday, there was just no escape, and everyone from Cliff Crown, the chairman, Mr. Benham, obviously, was there, and the players, one I'll by one, what. just all stopped for a drink or two and a chat, and the party continued long and hard into well, the night. That is, that is the beauty of following a, you know, in inverted commas sort of smaller club because I, I felt that when my team Berry got promoted a few years ago like you went to the social club after the game all the players were there you could mix with them you could have a chat you would never get that at a Premier League club uh, it's th- that kind of situation is one of the best things about supporting a sort of a community club if you like yeah I mean you're spot on and Brentford's always been a, a massive part of the community anyway we've got no choice we're, we're such a small area we are a relatively small team we've got a finite fan base so hopefully that's going to improve uh, but the players are very much part of it, and because of the just geographically alone, the setup, they've got no choice but to interact. You can't park a car anywhere near the ground, so they've got to walk past it. It's always been part of the culture, and the fans respect the team. You know, the players don't get mobs. Friday being an exception, of course, and that was in the best possible sense. The players don't get barracks, and they will stop for a chat. And as was the case on Friday, stop for a drink. It was quite bizarre. I just found myself at the bar at a pub lined up next to the team captain. It was a very, very surreal experience, one I'll never forget. Now, looking to next season, what do you think about you know the, the potential for these players to continue to flourish at the championship level and make the step up? Because you've got a, quite an interesting little mix of, of players at Brentford. You've got players who have, you know, like Forshaw, Jake Bidwell, who, you know, Shannon Logan, who have... You know, started off their careers in in Premier League youth academies. Maybe had the odd little taste of games here and there, but they ultimately didn't make it. Had to drop down. And you've got players as well, like Harley Dean, uh, Will Grigg, who who have come from the other way. Who've been at Walsall, Dagenham, and have kind of worked their way up and and have got better as players and moved their way up the pyramid. And now they're all taking another step into the Championship now. And you know, as you say, they've been there together for for a few years, most of them. How how well do you think they'll adapt and, and cope with a step up in standard? I'm not just saying this because I'm a Brentford fan, but having seen the players and having seen the team, I I think they will step up and adapt very, very quickly. These are all tremendously talented players. 
you, you, you see the defence in action. The rock solid. I mean, the lad Tarkowski we picked up from Oldham, he's Premiership class already. Uh, McCormack at right back, he was signed as a midfielder. He drops into right back and he just hasn't looked back. You mentioned Bidwell, he's come from Everton. Harley's come from Southampton. Forshaw, League One player of the season, he's come from Everton. These are all players with good pedigree, you know, a great grounding, a great start in their football career, but who are also very, very young and very, very skillful. They can go as high as they want, but they really can. It's, it's going to be down to can they cope with the pressure? And I think they will. That was a delighted Nick Bruzon, as you could tell, author of the Brentford blog, The Last Word, chatting to us earlier on. Many congratulations once again uh, to everyone at Griffin Park on their promotion. They're my local London side as well. So I'm, I'm chuffed to see them go up. We'll see how they get on next season. Unfortunately, though... Mine are late in audience, so I hope that's <laughs> an omen for them. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, though, for every team going... Uh, in the right direction, there has to be one going the opposite way. And it was confirmed on Easter Monday that after three eventful years in League One, it was the end of the road for Stevenage. Uh, Borough lost 3-1 at home to Bristol City on Monday. That's uh, That was their fourth straight defeat. And after 10 games without a win, Graham Wesley's side have now officially been relegated back to League Two. Joining us on the line right now is a man who has followed uh, their season every step of the way, unfortunately, I should say. And that is uh, Steve Watkins, who is the Stevenage commentator for BBC Three Counties Radio. Steve, thank you very much for coming on uh, for coming on the hey show um, were, no you, um, were you holding out before Easter a little bit of hope that Stevenage could could stay up or did you always have a feeling that it was going to end this way well I don't know about Easter I mean Stevenage at one point were nine points adrift from safety just after Christmas time and then obviously the alarm bells were ringing but they managed to get themselves out of trouble and uh, actually got themselves out of the bottom four for a week or so um, and then we had that dreadful game against MK Dons about a month ago um, which really was the turning point for me because Stevenage were 2-0 up and uh, you know they absolutely smashed the Dons in the first half Dons came back at Stevenage in the second half and it wasn't until the 90th minute when they uh, pulled a goal back and ended up winning 3-2 and um, you know I think that that said an awful lot about the um, about the side I think it dented them um, in many ways perhaps psychologically as much as anything else because from then on Stevenage have really struggled and uh, really haven't been able to put in too many decent performances albeit they had a very good nil-nil against Wolves one of the best nil-nil games I've seen for a long time that's for sure but um, you know they were never able to sort of regain the form that got them out of trouble and uh, unfortunately it kind of uh, whimpered out if you like by the, uh, by the end of last uh, Saturday Obviously, it's, it's always a disappointment to be relegated to, to finish. You know what probably will be bottom of the league. Um, but Graham Wesley has, has said that you know Stevenage should remain humble and, and remember where they where they where they've come from. Not not so long ago, you're a non-league club. And you did so well to rise to the you know to the playoffs two seasons ago and tasted those those heady heights. And you know maybe that makes this disappointment all the you know all, all the worse. But do you think that's right for, for Wesley to sort of say that? Remember where you've come from and, you know, maybe this is our, our natural level sort of thing. Or, or is that a bit of a cop-out? Could you actually have stayed up this season? Um, I think, well, you know, if you're being realistic about it, Stevenage have had three years in League One and nobody ever thought they'd get to League One. They're a very, you know, very young club with a very small fan base and very little income. Remember, you've got a chairman who will refuse to go into debt with the club. So everything is run at a profit or, you know, w- without debt, if you like, which means that, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to pull in the, 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 the big name players. 
you've got to go hunting for them. And I think that's been the problem for Graham Wesley is that, you know, he has to have his sort of player, but they've not been readily available for him. And he's had to get, you know, names off the book as well. He's got to get rid of players that uh, that he doesn't, you know, particularly want at the club and they don't perhaps want to be at Stevenage either. Um, and it hasn't proved to be an easy task, that, because there's been several players in and around the Stevenage squad who unfortunately have just been happy to go and train with the youth team and see out their contract like that rather than go go out on loan to other clubs. And it's it's been a big job for Graham Wesley on on that score. Is it a surprise? Well, you know, it had to come to an end at some point, didn't we? We've, we've had sort of five, six, seven years of real great success at Stevenage, uh, right from conference to winning FA trophies to winning back-to-back promotions, you know, finals. We, we, we played at White Hart Lane after drawing with Spurs, actually beat Newcastle at, at the Lamex Stadium. It's been a fantastic five or six years. Yes, it's, it's, it's disappointing that relegation has come, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just think it's been a fantastic effort for the club to maintain three years at League One on on what resources they've got. It's, it's, it's been fabulous as far as I'm concerned. Does it kind of feel like the uh, the end of a cycle then, perhaps with some of these players? And and this is kind of an exciting opportunity to to go back down to League Two and kind of start fresh, really. A bit of both. I think the cycle ended when Graham Wesley left the club in the first place. Now, you know, let's not get away from that fact. Uh, Graham Wesley left the club and, and went to Preston, and that's when the slide really started. Gary Smith came in and did a reasonable job, made sure that Stevens got to the playoffs. Let's not forget that as well. Of course, Stevens got to the playoffs, <laughs> you know, two years ago, and you know they were never able to keep that form up last season. And the dip started, and some of the players that were there. To, saw Stevenage up from the conference uh, were, were moved out and, uh, and and moved on you know a lot of those players have moved on to better things to better their career and you know nobody can uh, can really uh, you know blame them for that uh, the likes of Scott Laird you know George Boyd even from, from many years back you know they're, they're, they're players that have all been through Stevenage and I, I, I suspect that that's the way that Stevenage are going to be I mean you've got young Luke Freeman now um, from the Stevenage squad who's more than likely to going to move on to a League One, maybe even a championship side. There's rumours that championship clubs are coming in for him at the moment. So, you know, unfortunately, that's the way of life for Stevenage. They're a selling club, but they've got to find these players and develop them. End of an era, yes, but as you say, it's a new dawn, I think, for next season. Back down, it's, it's a new experience for many, many Stevenage fans. It's the first relegation since 1988, only the second in the club's history. So many won't have been through it. But uh, yeah, I think it's fairly exciting. Graham Wesley has now said, you know, wipe the uh, decks clear, if you like. We've um, got no excuses from now on. We've, we've got to go ahead and uh, I've got to build another side that can go and win games. Do you think the you know, the fans are, are confident that Graham Wesley you know, is the man that can continue you know this this relative success and and get Stevenage back and have a successful season and next year because he is you know quite a character that attracts a lot of attention for some of the things that he says you know he's had controversies in the past you know criticisms of his style of football and perhaps some of his methods from other clubs you know he's done very well for Stevenage didn't go well for him at Preston you know and, you know where, where do you think he sits now in his career I always said, I even said at the start of this season, don't judge Graham Wesley on this season. I think you've got to judge him on next season because he's got a big job ahead of him to clear the decks and get his sort of players in if you want Graham Wesley to take your club further forward. Pretty similar to what he had at Preston. And in fairness, you know, there was a lot of people that didn't like what he did at Preston. 
but he had a, a, a huge job there in getting you know a lot of a lot of names off the books that Preston just simply couldn't afford. And it was down to him to do that. And of course, it, you know, after the, uh, it was a year or so, wasn't it? He lost his job there, but he'd done all the dirty work and uh, Simon Grayson's come in and done a, a fantastic job in taking it on. But um, Simon Grayson's a goal of... hanger is what you're saying, basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, he's, he's a great manager, isn't he? But, he's, you know, he, he's, I think Graham West, he's really... You know, laid the foundations for it. I'm starting to sound like Graham Wessey now, aren't I? He's laid laid the foundations, but he hasn't put the roof on. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people will accept that that's been the case. And, uh, you know, he's he's been able to to take it on. We're just hoping that the same thing can happen at Stevenage, that, you know, he he can go and get his sort of players and build everything. A lot of people don't understand Stevenage and, and, and you know, the the, um, the finances and, and uh, you know, the, what is actually available for Graham Wessey as far as resources go. And, I, I, you know, I, I think that most of the Stevenage supporters now are coming around to that way of thinking. There's a lot of people that aren't happy, obviously. He's a manager who's taken his club down. But, you know, most people are kind of of the opinion now I think well okay next season's a new season let's see where we stand at Christmas time because as Graham Westy says himself there's no excuses and if they're struggling around Christmas time then you know I should imagine the chairman uh, will really be seriously thinking about where he takes um, you know who, who he has to lead the club forward well there are two games to go for Stevenage they play Walsall at home on Saturday and then Brentford away on the final day and then before uh, Stevenage go down to League 2 next season um, some people from the club are going to get involved in Prostate Cancer UK's big uh, charity uh, challenge this summer 6 to the 8th of June we talked about it with Leafy Blissett a couple of months ago uh, just before the World Cup London to Amsterdam and uh, yeah there's a, a big uh, team from the club taking part including yourself Steve yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I was asked just before Christmas to if I could put a team together to uh, take part in the event, and uh, I thought, yeah, okay, I had to think about it, and I thought, yeah, it's not going to be that bad, is it? But uh, I have to say, I've been out on my bike today, and you wasn't, um, it wasn't you weren't I, asked at the Christmas party, were you? After you had a few. <laughs> I think my name came up after the Christmas party. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. <laughs> but yeah, we managed to get together a, a team of eight riders so far, which is uh, well, it was joint largest team I think in the event. But I know Watford have managed to pick somebody up as well, so they've got nine riders. So half of you flying the flag without a doubt. And um, it's you know it's it's a great charity, and uh, it's something I didn't particularly know too much about when I first started it. But uh, you know, in just doing what I've been doing and talking to people, it's amazing how many uh, lives are affected. Um, and families are affected by the, you know, prostate cancer, and it's it's been really great, you know, and, and uplifting being d- doing this sort of work. Let's just hope we can <laughs> we, can, we can get on the bikes and, and you know finish it and do it justice because it's uh, ninety miles on the first day and sixty on the uh, on the second day. Uh, best of luck with it all, Steve. Anyway, hope it goes well. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. And uh, no problem at all. I was going to say enjoy the summer, but I, I don't know if you can after relegation. But anyway, hopefully it'll be a lot better next season. Uh, thanks for coming on, Steve. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure, boys. That is uh, Steve Watkins, Stevenish commentator for BBC Three Counties Radio. Our Easter review coming up in just a second. But first, it's time for my club, the bit of the show where we hear from another fan in 125 seconds, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today we're going to focus on Port Vale. This is We Are Going Up, my club in 125 seconds. Hello, I'm Steve Donaldson and my club are Port Vale. Steve, do you remember your first ever Port Vale match? 
It was back in 93. It was Vale versus Middlewall. 2-1 and Robin van der Laan got the winner. And uh, your best uh, moment as a Port Vale fan in all these, what is it, 21 years you've been following them? The back end of last season's promotion run-in or winning the LDV at the Millennium Stadium. I was going to ask you, Steve, what was your favourite, what would be your favourite sponsor that you've had <laughs> that, have, that have adorned the Port Vale shirts in your time? Was it? Because they are sort of, you do kind of link Are we with, running with, out of with, questions? With, no, no, you, you know, I, I look back at what Is it late April by any I preferred chance? that shirt, that sponsor looked nicer and all that. And I've, just looked at the, I've just looked at the list, right? And there was one in 1991, 1992 called Kalamazoo. I'm just intrigued to know what that was. I have no idea. <laughs> remember them being the ugliest kit I've ever Get seen. Get on that historical kits website. Okay, get it up. Let's have a look at it. Um, your uh, your worst moment then as a Port Vale fan? Um, the second, the most recent administration, kind of being more aware that this could be the end of my club. That was hard to take. And I remember even when we heard that the players had signed contracts at the beginning of the season that we inevitably got promoted. Um, there was a cheer it was a pre-season game and everyone was happy that it bothered to sign contracts with us so. Can I just say Steve by the way when you were giving that heartfelt answer there I just saw his face light up on the other side of the desk <laughs> I have I have got historical kits up on the screen <laughs> and the 91-92 shirt is outstanding the Kalamazoo sponsor looks like it's been done in Word Art on Microsoft Word it's like yeah. slanted half you know like an angle across the shirt with the K really big and the O at the end really small yeah. in perspective looks ridiculous the only shirt to run it close is the goalkeeper shirt from about 96 97 Maybe a bit later. Rainbow coloured snakeskin effect. Rainbow coloured snakeskin. Ridiculous. Tremendous. Not right. enough of those these days. We need, we need to waffle about kits in our own time, I think. Uh, Steve, <laughs> your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. Thank you, Steve. Then we will have another My Club along next week. Not many left now. Remember to tweet us at Waggy Pack. Uh, <laughs> at Waggy Podcast. <laughs> Or send, uh, that's staying in. or send us an email via the website wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact if you want to come on the show and tell us about supporting your club hopefully we can then arrange to get you on over the next month or so remember this podcast is here right through until the end of the season and the end of the playoff finals and talking of the playoffs more on uh, who could potentially be in the championship playoff final in just a second uh, but first DC we cover Burnley another quick word on Leicester though 2-1 wins QPR and Bolton over Easter champions of the football league for the first time in their history They've won the championship. We've obviously covered them, you know, loads this season. But Nigel Pearson letting his hair down. How good was that to see? The players yeah. lifting him up at Fantastic. Bolton on Tuesday. Richly deserved celebrations. Nice for them to um, have the game where they sealed the title because obviously they, when they were promoted, they weren't actually playing. Yes. Um, so they sort of had that celebratory moment. Fantastic goal from Lloyd Dyer, who's, who's had a, you know, one of a number of players there at Leicester, similar to Burnley, as we mentioned earlier. Very tight, 23 players that they've used. You know, lowest in the division, but they've gone up as champions, and you know, fantastic season that they've had. Did so well to bounce back from the disappointment they've had last season. You, you talked about them at length a few weeks ago, so I won't go on. But you know, just hats off to, to Nigel Pearson and the squad there. And similar to Burnley, I think that they don't need huge amounts of work in terms of going up next season. They need a bit more quality, maybe a few more numbers. But uh, I'd be optimistic if I was a Leicester fan of having a decent season next year I love the Klinsman when all the players ran from the halfway line and mm. did the dive in front of the fans that was amazing and another question if anyone can help me on this has any manager ever been dropped mid-promotion celebration when they chuck him in the air like that <laughs> if you've got video proof I'd like to the see one, it the one word of 
maybe caution or a warning I'd have for Leicester fans is the last two seasons, the, the champions of the championship, Reading and, and Cardiff, who have both gone up, you know, in, in some style and, you know, considerable uh, distance between them and the rest in, in some ways, have been relegated. They've been the worst team of the three that have gone up in the, the next following Premier League season. Well, Cardiff haven't gone down yet. No, but they have performed the worst of, of oh, the right, three yeah, yeah, as yeah. it stands. Sure. And, you know, so they'll be hoping that that doesn't happen to them next year, obviously. OK, on to the playoffs then. This is how we stand at the moment. Uh, we now know that Derby and QPR will definitely be in there. I watched uh, Doncaster Derby on Sky on Friday night. I was impressed by uh, Derby. Chris Martin's goal in particular took that very well. Uh, they won 2-0 there. They followed it up with a 2-1 win against Barnsley on Monday. They've won six of the last eight games. They're five points clear of QPR, so Derby will pretty much almost certainly finished in third spot an outstanding achievement for Steve McLaren QPR are going to finish fourth almost certainly which is a, a bit less of an achievement for Harry Redknapp given the resources they lost at Leicester on Saturday and then they beat your lot Watford 2-1 thanks mm. to that Charlie Austin screamer yeah it, although it, by all accounts um, it was one of our best performances of the season played really really well didn't quite take our opportunities and then when it was 1-0 we really needed a victory and we we had every player forward for a corner pretty much and at one stage I think on the counter it was five players five QPR players to, to Joel Ekstrand at the back <laughs> on one and they got us on the break and, and Austin scores in the last minute and it's, it goes down as a as a defeat which was disappointing and it really technically not, you can actually not, not mathematically ended our playoff yeah hopes, I was about to say that it would take a you know a, a Huge. staggering yeah. uh, turnaround of fortune for us to be in well, the playoffs well if you sorted now. that away for mate you might have been in there yeah yeah look we and I think you could probably say this about all the teams going for the playoffs. If if we, you know, unlikely if we do, or if we had got into sixth, we wouldn't really have deserved it. We, yeah. We've not had a great season. We've been inconsistent. You know, we've changed managers. We've had terrible away forms at times. Conceded a lot of late goals. And you know, there's apart from the the top four teams really have been a class apart this season, haven't they? Yeah. And then the rest of the division, I do think, is pretty average. So whoever gets that sixth spot will certainly. I just um. I just sorry, I was going to talk a really rubbish point there, but I I just hope that um, Beppe Sanino doesn't bother to learn English because I love seeing Alec Chamberlain on there every week. <laughs> well, his English is coming on actually. Okay. I mean, you 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 no, I mean you actually you want him to learn more English because I tell you what, Sanino is a fantastic character. You okay. know, do you know he ends all his press conferences with a whistle? <laughs> what? He, 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 he blows full time at his press conferences. Brilliant, yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, right, well, all the playoff teams, obviously, over the next few weeks, once the actual regular season ends, we're going to talk about a lot more. So we won't go on too much about QPR and Derby. Wigan, we think, are going to get fifth because they've got an extra game. They've got three games left. And uh, although they lost at Burnley, they did look very good against Reading on Friday, winning 3-0. That Yuri Gomez strike in particular, woof. Um, but that, that basically means, because we presume we're going to get, get fifth. So uh, one spot then between six sides and all of them have got two games to go so this is how the form went over Easter if you're interested from those two games uh, over the Easter weekend Blackburn and Reading three points Brighton just two we thought they were going to uh, the best fixtures didn't we uh, Ipswich and Bournemouth just one but how about this Nottingham bloody forest <laughs> after 13 games without a victory two straight wins against Birmingham and Leeds and I don't know if you saw this tweet from Jonathan Wilson after Sunderland won at Chelsea last week on Twitter yeah, I know it's coming, you yeah. utter hope giving bastards and <laughs> That is pretty much what Forrest have just done to their fans. They thought our season's over and they're right back in it. And their last two games are Bournemouth and Brighton. Absolutely huge. I mean, and and it also throws up the mouthwatering prospect of Derby against Forrest in oh. the playoff semi-final, doesn't it? Because it looks like if they get sixth, then Derby will hold on third. Um, Matt Derbyshire, well, three goals in three tremendous. days. Yeah, he's come up Trump's right at the right moment. You know, it, it looked like their season was just going to peter out and wait for Stuart Pearce to come back in the summer and, and start again. But maybe you'll have a little, you know, a, a surprise 
uh, promotion to to walk into, you know, in the summer. And, mm. you know, uh, thanks to Gary Brazil and the squad there. Who knows? I'm already excited about Jeff Stellings as it stands table on the last yeah, day of the season is, here because it's going to go absolutely. right down to the wire. And, you know, Blackburn have had a real good run over the last mm. 10 games. I think Rudy Gestead hat-trick on yep. Birmingham. Yeah, they've gone beaten in 10, yeah. It's been a real decent signing for them. Uh, Conway's been a really good signing for them. Uh, so, that, you know, they, they've kind of bubbled under the radar. They've still got Rhodes there, obviously, who's always never far away from the goals. Reading, like just as we were saying the other week, just when you think, oh, then you know they're not going to do it. They're not. They're not really that good. They're two 0 victory over Middlesbrough uh, last night as we record this. They're back in sixth place, and you know, maybe they will hold. You know, hold it up, and and maybe they can get that investment if they were to go up in the summer, and and maybe they could, you know. Hark back to the days of Steve Coppel and have a few seasons in the Premier League. Well, I tell you what, it's, it's, it's a fascinating picture. Or any one of those clubs could go up. There's, there's not much between them. If um, if Forest can win at Bournemouth on Saturday, and Brighton uh, win against Yeovil at home, who obviously are effectively relegated, and that would settle the intriguing prospect of Forest against Brighton uh, on the last day of the season, which could be a bit similar to Forest against Leicester on the last day of mm. last season, a sort of playoff decider. Yeah, although there's more teams involved, I know, That's admittedly, but but I do think whoever finishes sick, they are, you know, they'll, they'll go in confident, absolutely, but they will be fourth favourites, and I would plump for Derby at the moment. I'm very impressed by Derby, and I think they would be my favourites. Okay, relegation time then, down to the bottom. Uh, Yeovil drew nil nil at Blackburn on Good Friday. They lost two one at home to Huddersfield on Easter Monday. They're six points off safety with two games to go. They need a 14 goal swing. So unfortunately, the miracle is not going to happen. They're going to be relegated on Saturday, and it's a real shame because only a few weeks ago there seemed to be quite a lot of belief that they could stay up, um, but it's just not happened for them. Well. Such is off, so often the case with teams that are relegated. When they make a step up to a, to a league above, and perhaps like like we were saying earlier to Brentford, maybe maybe Yeovil, you know, opposite to to a club like Brentford, weren't really ready for promotion. It came probably as a bit of a surprise. The late goals, you know, the goals that they conceded from winning positions, thirty one points. You know that has made all the difference. Absolutely, all the difference. You know, they'd be, you know, what they'd be in the playoffs. You know, <laughs> they kept that together, and you know, even half of those points if they managed to, you know, keep hold of them, they'd they'd be well clear of trouble. And I think that does tell its own story. Ultimately, there's probably not enough, quite enough quality in that squad, you know, to to turn those good performances for an hour, good performances for 80 minutes into draws and victories. And, quite in- and it does, and it takes its toll on the players, you know, and it, and it gets them down, and and ultimately they haven't been been able to do it. I'd be quite interested in a few years when Gary Johnson looks back on this season if he, you know, would have done anything differently in terms of Paddy Madden he fell out with and he ended up leaving, and then obviously yeah. um, with um, what's the guy from Forest, Ishmael Miller, uh, Ishmael Miller, a few weeks ago, doesn't help. Does it? No. Um, uh, so uh, Yeovil, unfortunately, they're not quite gone just yet, but they will be on Saturday. And then just above them in 23rd, Barnsley. And they are uh, four points off safety with two games to go. We saw them at the Valley last week play well and win, but they've not been able to take any momentum out of that over Easter. Leeds beat them 1-0 at Oakwell on Good Friday, and then Barnsley lost to Derby on Easter Monday. So they basically need two wins against Middlesbrough away in QPR at home to have any chance of survival. Well, I'll tell you what, they might have a chance against Middlesbrough because Middlesbrough, who lost at home to Millwall last week um, and also lost to Reading this week. And after the Reading game, really interesting comment from Aitor Karanka. He told the local BBC station up there, um, it's my fault I wasn't able to motivate my players. Against Millwall in the same today, we saw two teams he wanted to win and one team that didn't. I'm learning every day about the league and the players. I mean, that, that is quite an astonishing thing to Admission. come out and say after the game, that you were not able to motivate your players. I mean, I would like to hear him expand on that, really. Why? Is it because of the time of this season? You know, you know, they've got nothing to play for and their heads are, heads are you know, in, in the holidays already. But, well, you know, it, 
To, to say ch- that you're that you're not able to do that is, is quite surprising, and and it would you know look at Barnsley, give them an opportunity to, to capitalise on that and and win. Isn't the Championship such an amazing division though? Because last week when we sat there at the Valley afterwards, we said Middlesbrough have just won four in a row. The pressure's off. They'll end the season flying, and then a week later, he can't even motivate his players to turn up, and they've lost twice. Mm. So just shows what a kind of uh, topsy turvy uh, season it's been. So um, if we okay, Barnsley have still got a chance there, but their goal difference is they basically. You know they they need it to be Millwall or Doncaster that they're going to catch because their goal difference is uh, is so poor. But we won't rule them out of them, uh, rule them out of it just yet. The one remaining place then does seem to be between uh, five teams. So Blackpool have slipped into the relegation zone on goal difference, and you've got Birmingham. You've got a game in hand still. They've got three left, but two of them are at home and they're absolutely crap at home. You've got Millwall, Doncaster, and Charlton. They don't really, really know where you want to start. And all that. Should we start with Charlton because Marvin Sordell only went and hit a hat trick at Hillsborough. They were two 0 down, and that could be the biggest three goals of their season absolutely and he's had a frustrating you know, couple of years a frustrating season really Marvin Sordell and that will give him a great deal of confidence it's a massive time to get a hat-trick in a game where you were behind away from home at Sheffield Wednesday you know give them absolutely crucial three points after we watched them lose to Barnsley which was you know a real bitter blow for them uh, and it gives them, you know, all of a sudden, it gives them a real chance. They basically just need, you know, they, they win one of those two games and that's it. They're up. They're, they're, they're staying up. Down there as well, Doncaster, one point over Easter. They've got Reading and Leicester left. Just a tough run in. Uh, Millwall, three wins and three draws from their last six games. Uh, three away wins in a row. They've picked up four yeah. just at the right you, time. You just wonder, the Millwall, uh, speaking to Joe, Ten men. after that game, 10 men against Doncaster for, for over half the game. And they had so many chances and they were just unable to get the breakthrough, unable to score. Uh, and, you know, Peter's out to a nil-nil draw, which now leaves them level on points with Doncaster. That could cost them. You know, a victory would really have been a massive thing for them. They'd be, what, 47 points. That would be four points clear of the relegation zone. But as it stands, only one point. So, it, you know, they're right in there. Despite their improvement, despite their late rally, they could still go down, of course. And how about we finish this little relegation section with two teams uh, who were in the Premier League not long ago, Blackpool and Birmingham down there. Birmingham, no home nice. win. Were they in the Premier League together, weren't they? Did they go down the same season? Like? Uh, they might have done. Yeah, they did. They that done. last day of the season, didn't they? Where Blackpool lost at Old Trafford. That's right, yeah. Lost yeah. Spurs. Spurs, that's right, yeah. Uh, Birmingham, no home win in 16 games. The next two games are at St Andrews and there's always a team that sinks down so they're right in it now Blackpool though over Easter defeat to Burnley one or draw at Brighton which is encouraging I suppose um, but I mean tremendous te- goal Stephen Dobby, Dobby yeah. yeah but terrible scenes with him on the Friday where the assistant manager Bob Malcolm was sent off for trying to hit him a massive sort of scuffle on the touchline and he got sent off and the tennis ball protest by the Blackpool fans the banners uh, love Blackpool hate Oyston it's uh, a club not very happy no, it's just a. It's, well, it hasn't been for a, a mess. for a few years, really, has it? Since they came down from the Premier League, they had a good season trying to get back in the, the first time round, and then sort of basically when Holloway left, it's it's all gone sour since then. And the, the problems with Oyston they were always bubbling under the surface. And you know, while while they're successful, you put them to one side. I think as a fan, you 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 can countenance the you know the, the frustrating things about the lack of investment and stuff, but you know that once the fortunes on the pitch start to decline, then they become you know brought much more sharply into focus, and you know some of those fans are you know very unhappy, and I think rightly so. It's uh, it's a right mess. Uh, Blackpool this weekend are away at Wigan, which isn't the nicest fixture either. Uh, down to uh, League One then. Congratulations to Wolves, Championes. They're going to comfortably smash the hundred points as well. They're on ninety nine points at the minute. Thirty wins so far this season, which is mental. Five club records uh, broken along the way. Their highest gate since nineteen eighty one against Rotherham at home. Over thirty one thousand 
there, which is a reminder of what a big club they are. That's highest since 1981, even, the, even more than the Premier League. Well, they've the new stand. The, suppose, yeah, built yeah. a new stand and done it all up. Brilliant goal from Sam Ricketts. Next expected <laughs> from him in the top corner. Uh, two hat-tricks in that game, Rotherham. You don't get that very often. Um, and then 3-1 victory at Leighton Orient on Monday. They were a little bit luckier, I felt, in that game, seeing that back on the football game, though, wasn't it? Oh, it was a great game. Uh, there was a definite pen in there, wasn't there, for mm. Orient, for handball. Uh, but anyway, Wolves have wrapped up the title because Brentford drew 2-2 at MK Don. So Wolves and Brentford up in the playoffs. Rotherham, a defeat and a draw for them over Easter. Preston, defeat at Brentford, but then they absolutely smashed, uh, was it Shrewsbury, wasn't it, at, uh, at Deepdale. scored 11 goals in the last two home games. They're in the playoffs. Orient are in the playoffs themselves. Uh, successive defeats, though, so they probably want to turn that momentum around. It's all about, DC, the fight for the final playoff place between 6th and 7th. Peter Rev a four-point advantage going into the last two games over Swindon. You'd expect them to get there. But how about this for a stat? 18 defeats, Peterborough, in 44 games this season. They could yeah. still end up in the playoffs. Well, exactly. And there's that 10-point there's that gap between 5th and 6th, Leighton Orient 5th, Peterborough in 6th. And that, that's actually going to be quite interesting because you've got Rotherham Preston and Orient separated by just two points going into the last two games. So how that pans out in terms of which team of those three managed to finish in third spot... You know, it could give them a real advantage in the playoffs because they're comfortably better than Peterborough, or, or indeed if Swindon were to ma- were managed to, to squeak in, that you know that would really be a much more desirable fixture for them to play Peterborough in the first in the semi final of the playoffs. More on the uh, the League One playoffs at the end of the season. Let's get into the relegation scrap. Stephen and Jagonas then, Shrewsbury are pretty much goners as well. Then um, they have shipped uh, eight goals over their two defeats over Easter. They're six points off safety. I've written in the script here to do a Michael Jackson feeling bad gag, but I'm not going to do that because you banned me from doing any yes. Michael Jackson gags, didn't you? Uh, but they lose home to Peterborough on Saturday, and even if they get a point, they're pretty much gone. So Shrewsbury are going to be relegated. 21 defeats. They haven't really replaced Graham Turner, have they, since he sort of left midway through the season. That wasn't as as much of a great decision as uh, you thought it might be. And a similar thing might be happening at Bristol Rovers. More on that in a second. Uh, the others down there then, two more are going to go. This is the Easter form guide. Crew and Oldham, four points over Easter. Notts County, three points. Tranmere, Carlisle, Coventry and Colchester, one point. DC, you've got the table there in front of you. Carlisle have got this extra game on the teams around them. They're three points off safety. Boy, do they need to win that extra game. Absolutely, Absolutely crucial uh, because their goal difference is, you know, so much poorer than Notts Counties. Uh, it's slightly worse than, than Crew and, and, and Tranmere, very much worse than Colchester. So that's almost an extra point, really. And yeah, it's massive that they win that game. Looking at the fixtures, then, do you have a, a hunch about which two teams are, are going to go? I think Carlisle might go, actually. Mm. Looking at, I've still got Wolves to play. Crawley away, been on a good run. And Notts County, what's the stuff? Scribbled it down here. Notts County have won five of their last seven games. And they're still in the relegation zone. Just shows how poor they've been uh, in the first sort of two thirds of the season. Um, do you think they can survive still looking at those games? Tramier have got Orient still. Crew have got uh, Bristol City and Preston. Bristol City who are playing quite well at the moment. Um, I don't know. It's too tight. It's too <laughs> tight to call, isn't it? That any of those teams could do it. You know, they those the ones that aren't playing well. You know, will just get that result against all odds, probably because I bet against them. Um, and it, you know, we'll go down to the last day, and it's, it's fascinating to have four and four or five teams that are going to be you know fighting for those two spots on the last day. And I, I'm not going to call it because it, it could go anyway. Okay, uh, League Two at the top. Then um, no one's gone up yet, which is a bit of a surprise. That's because Fleetwood keep winning, keep uh, hanging in there. Scunny though, and nearly there, 28 games unbeaten, which is crazy for Russ Wilcox. They've had a lot of draws though, which is why they've not 
gone up just yet. They're going to do it, though, away at Exeter on Saturday. I, read that, I bet they bloody lose one of those last two games as well, just when you think they're going to get to the end of the season with unbeaten. Um, what do you reckon looking at those top three? Rochdale did lose 3-0 at home to Southend on Friday, which I, I enjoyed. I was raising the possibility yeah. that Rochdale were going to bottle it, uh, but they did win at, at Bristol Rovers. Uh, importantly, crucial win that uh, on Easter Monday. Um, so they've got a three-point cushion still going into the last two games. Do you give Fleetwood any chance? They're the only team that can catch one of the top three. So you basically got four clubs going for three spots now. Yeah, you give Fleetwood a chance. Definitely. Absolutely. Because there's not much between those teams, really. Chesterfield, Rochdale, Fleetwood, Scunthorpe with edge to head. They've all got some decent players, all got players who have played at higher levels. And, you know, Rochdale and Chesterfield, both at times this season, have looked like they're, you know, going to push on and have looked like maybe they would have run away with it or extended the lead at some times. But they've all, you know, all of them, even Scunthorpe to a degree, have failed to really kick on and they've had draws and losses when they shouldn't have done so you, you can't rule Fleetwood out of the race at this time no absolutely not there's only three points so this, Couple you know, of- they could with this the next round of games they could be in, in the mm. um, you know in the top three couple of uh, great winning goals for Fleetwood over Easter from Josh Morris as well so Burton are in the playoffs Southend are pretty much in fact Southend great there. run from Southend because yeah, it looked like needed. the wheels had fallen off hadn't it yeah so the Southend are pretty much there as well and then seventh spot then um, York City are almost there I was at Boeven Crescent on Monday uh, went to York. A lovely, a lovely little city, York. Very, very nice. Lots of uh, nice Never pubs. Um, and uh, went to the ground. Now, I went there once, um, 2003, I remember. That was the last time I was there. Nothing's changed in, in the last 11 years. And basically, the toilet is just a wall at York. That is the sort of level of stadium you've got. It's the, the, the most, the least, the worst toilets I've ever been at any football ground. It's basically just a wall. Uh, but anyway, York beat Barry by one goal to nil. We let in a stupid goal from a corner in the second minute. And then they just defended. Um, I can't say that they were the you know most exciting side I've ever watched, but if you look at their record, their defensive record, it's staggering. They've only conceded two goals in their last 14 games. They've won 10 of their last 15. On the 31st of December, they were 22nd in League Two. And as we record on the 23rd of April, they are seventh, five points clear of Oxford in eighth, and they're going to be in the playoffs. Well, fantastic. Yeah, and, and sounds like they very much deserve it based on those, on those statistics. A tremendous rise. And it shows you, this league, like we were saying about Berry, you can rise through it so quickly because it is it is much of a muchness. It, even the top three, there's not much quality to you know, and not much to separate too many of the teams in this league. And it's just about finding that consistency, which they've managed to do. Poor old Oxford, thirteen points clear of eighth in February. They're not going to make the yeah. playoffs now. Uh, abs- what a bottle you know, job! Absolutely that was. terrible for them. You know, they had the big chance, and I I firmly believe. Maybe you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the reason Wilder left is because he he didn't ultimately believe that he would have been able to do it, and thought I'm going to go to Northampton and try and do something there. But you've got to think that they would have had a better chance of you know retaining the not just playoff but automatic promotion hopes that they had if Chris Wilder hadn't have left when he did. Um, right down at the bottom. In fact, well, before we go to the bottom, the Football League have charged AFC Wimbledon with fielding an ineligible player in their win over Cheltenham last month. J- Jake Nicholson uh, was the man in question. Four years ago, Hartlepool, when they were in League One, were deducted three points and handed a suspended fine of fielding an eligible player. So I'd be interested. I'm not. I think they're just clear enough of relegation. But imagine if a mistake like that cost you. But it will, tell you what, keep your eye, keep your eye out for for what happens to them there, and then compare it to what happened or West didn't Ham. happen to uh, to Sunderland. Yes, you know, See recently with, with G Don Juan, who they I think they were given a fine, but no points deduction and no real big penalty, a fine which they can pretty much easily afford. 
Uh, it does also often seem to be the way that the big clubs get away with it absolutely lightly. And a club like you know Barry in the past, we yep. kicked out the FA Cup. Kicked out the FA Cup for fielding an ineligible player on a bit of paperwork for five minutes when we were winning three one. Yep. And Bradford got kicked out. Didn't know if Bradford got reinstated. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, there's certainly a precedent for uh, the big clubs being given the uh, the advantage in those situations. Do you see that Kelsey Grammer was at the memorial? I was going to mention what that. The bloody hell was that of all well, about? Do you, you want to know why? Yeah, I, it's uh, because his wife is uh, the the daughter of Alan Walsh, who was a youth team coach at Bristol Rovers and a former striker for Bristol City. Wow, you couldn't make that up. Um, Bristol Rovers lost. They lost 3-1 home to Rochdale. They lost 3-2 at Pompey before that on Friday. 94 years in the Football League, Bristol Rovers, and they are in real, real danger. How did that happen? I'm just thinking about that. How did the the daughter (laughs) of a Bristol City striker from many decades ago manage to hook up with Kelsey Grammer, star of... Was Niall there? Cheers and and Frasier. No, I wasn't there. I don't no, think no, I shame. was there. No, that's a shame. Um, or the British actress who was in Friends. She was in Friends, wasn't she? Ros. Is it Ross? I don't know. That's her name in Frasier. Can't remember. Um, anyway, we're getting off the t- off topic here. Uh, Northampton. So basically, Torquay. Well, fair play to Torquay. Uh, three uh, two one win. Sorry, at Exeter. They're fighting hard, but they're five points off safety with two games to go. You never know. They, 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 they maybe could pull something out of the bag, but it would be a miracle escape. Above them, Northampton, Bristol Rovers, Wickham, all on 47 points with two games to go. I think, like, you know, obviously in the Championship and League One relegation battles, it's horrible, but in League Two in particular, the, oh, the, the, worst, the yeah. threat of, le- of yeah. losing your Football League status. Northampton and Wickham drew last week. Matt Ingram basically threw that cross into his own goal. How costly could that be from a Wickham perspective? Pompey have moved Cliff, five straight wins mm. uh, extra have got a two point cushion but they're still in it so they've got Scunthorpe to come on Saturday they could be dragged right into it it's going to go to the wire and the same as League One you wouldn't like to call it at all I mean Northampton have been terrible this season they've pretty much been in the bottom two all season um, Bristol Rovers you know they've not been in Def, desperate trouble all season. They've been hovering around at mid-table zone, and they've just. What about you know, that change? They've, they've was it a good good change in retrospect? Of... Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe mm. it was the wrong time. Maybe John Ward should have stayed to the end of the season just to try and hold things over, and then you achieve safety, and then you you know say thanks very much, and you move upstairs. Maybe it was a bit too early. You know, remains to be seen. Exeter. How many times have we had Exeter? You know. Um, we talked about Exeter on the pod over the last few years and talked about Tisdale and you know, they're going to go up, satchel. where they're going to be. And look, they, I mean, they might drop out of the league again, you know, and yeah. it's you know, Morecambe. It, the, the, all these clubs, it's going to be, whoever goes they're down, it, yeah. it's, it's going to be so difficult, you know, for them to go, you know, look at Luton who are coming up. They've been down in the Football League, mm-hmm. uh, out of the Football League for a number of years. You don't always come back. You rarely come back quickly from from the conference. How about, how about this for a game on Saturday? Wickham versus Bristol Rovers. Amazing. Uh, right, that is uh, it. Thanks for listening uh, this week. Sorry that it's um, it's out a little bit late. Blame Easter on my birthday. Um, but yeah, well, we'll happy be... birthday. Thanks, mate. We'll be back next week. How old? Twenty-seven. Mm. Still younger than you. Still you, young... entering in your, into your prime. <laughs> well, if I was a footballer, I yeah. would be, I suppose. Unless I was a goalkeeper, which often, of course, I get because of the name. But anyway, uh, if you want to check out our SoundCloud page, it's soundcloud.com slash Podcast. The archive is on there. All the old interviews from uh, during this season. You can uh, go and follow us on Twitter. That's at Podcast. W-A-G-U podcast. And the website is wearegoingup.co.uk. Sorry. You know, what, you know what's coming up as well, don't you? Uh, what's coming or up? Or the traditional end of season look back at the predictions. Oh yeah, well actually it's interesting you say that because uh, I um, uh, a couple of weeks ago I had a, I had a spare twenty minutes so I went back and I copied out all our predictions 
in the first show. And I cannot wait to to uh, to go through them in a couple of weeks' time. Are they that bad? I think so. Yeah, I've done even worse than last year. I can't. Well, no, you did pretty bad last year, didn't you? <laughs> I did. There's there's some absolute stinkers in there. Top goal scorer in particular. Oh God, don't remind me of that. <laughs> no, I have. Oh no, yeah, I had a shocker on that one. Yeah. Right. So we'll review Rennie, all those. Rennie, and how? Rennie, I went through as well. <laughs> Rennie, how? And um, that's it. We'll speak to you uh, regular time, I think, next week. I presume so anyway. So Tuesday next week. That's it. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.